You're listening to Pep Talk, discussing policy, evidence and practice in Wales. Pep Talk is brought to you by the Wales Centre for Public Policy at Cardiff University. This episode of Pep Talk was recorded in November 2018 before the change of government and First Minister of Wales. Hello and welcome to Pep Talk. I'm your host Kadan Aptawas and today we're discussing an issue that's increasingly featured in news headlines here in Wales. That's youth homelessness. It's something that's firmly on Welsh ministers' radar too, as last year Cadwyn Jones announced his government's intention to eradicate youth homelessness in Wales within 10 years. With me to start to delve into this topic are three experts who each have their own perspective to bring to this issue. And my first guest is uh, Jonathan Webb, a research officer with us at the Wales Centre for Public Policy. So, Johnny, you've been working on this youth homelessness assignment for the centre. Do you want to explain quickly how we came about working on this for the Welsh Government? So, it's as you um, mentioned previously, Carmen Jones made an announcement um, last year that we would be supporting the work the Welsh Government's doing in this space by undertaking an, inter- an international evidence review into the issue of youth homelessness. Um, so, the idea behind that is not dissimilar from how we work on our other assignments, um, but to provide evidence to policymakers to help inform decisions around preventing youth homelessness. Also with me today is Caitlin Schwann, who is a senior researcher at the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness that's based in York University, and she was also one of the the co-authors on our Youth Homelessness Report. You've come a very, very long way to be with us today. Uh, How are you finding Wales? Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm just in love with Cardiff. I may not go home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'd be more than welcome to stay with us. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Finally, we've got Francis Beecher, who's the the chief executive of the homelessness charity SAMI. Can you tell us a little bit, Fran, about what SAMI aims to do? Yes, uh, good to be here. Well, SAMI is Wales's leading homeless charity for young people and women, and we actually aim to end youth homelessness. What we focus on very much is uh, prevention and trying to... um, approach and work with young people at an early stage before they actually become entrenched homelessness. We're also very proud to be the founding member of the End Youth Homeless Coalition. That's great. Thank you very much. Warm welcome to all three of you. Now let's start by pinning down exactly what we mean here uh, when we talk about youth homelessness. Uh, Many people listening will surely be thinking about people they see sleeping rough on the streets at night. But, But as we know, Caitlin, that's the definition is a lot broader than that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, w- the way we've been thinking about it at the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness is kind of in four key areas. So looking at folks who are unsheltered, so the, as you mentioned, so kind of rough sleepers, folks who are living on their car or living on the street, um, emergency sheltered folks, so folks who are in emergency shelters or accessing domestic violence shelters, Um, But then folks who are also provisionally accommodated. So for young people in particular, uh, very likely to cycle through sleeping on couches of friends or family. Um, But we're also thinking of folks as at risk of homelessness as being within the definition of homelessness as well. So if folks have a a kind of an economic or a housing situation that is unstable or precarious um, or, or doesn't meet kind of public health and safety standards. We're thinking of the definition as being quite broad. Um, and unfortunately, th- that doesn't necessarily carry over to kind of public perceptions of homelessness. Yeah, just to, to build on that point, one thing that we found working with you guys in terms of doing this evidence review is how important um, having that broader definition of youth homelessness really is. So from an evidence perspective, um, a lot of the time, as you pointed out, the tendency is to think of um, youth homelessness as those people who are sleeping rough or sleeping on the streets. Whereas actually, if we adopt a broader definition and try and think about, okay, 
how can we break down what youth homelessness is? You know, what are the different causes in terms of, you know, the structural features, um, the housing problems which might lead people to becoming homeless? Actually, what we can then do is establish a much more robust evidence base which builds on all those aspects and isn't so focused around this issue of rough sleeping alone. I think that's a really important point because one of the things we have found is young people do not identify themselves as homeless. Um, even if they've been sofa surfing, even if they don't know where they're going to be staying um, that night, they still see that homeless is somebody who is rough sleeping. Um, and also lots of people in the community only think you're homeless if you're rough sleeping. So I think it's really important we have a wider definition. Does the fact that uh, that those young people, are they're not identifying as homeless, does that then affect uh, how people can intervene and how services can intervene to stop those people from getting into into those situations? Because perhaps they're, they're not seeing themselves as being relevant to that service, for example. Absolutely. Uh, I think over 80% of young people we surveyed, which was around a small sample, around 250, did not see themselves as homeless, even though they had did not have anywhere to stay. Um, there was no one sort of taking responsibility for them. Um, and in one case, uh, a young lad who's actually living in Pontypridd um, in the park still didn't see himself as homeless, even though technically he was rough sleeping, but he, in his eyes, he wasn't on the street. Uh, you know, that's really, really interesting. Um, and so we, we've touched on it a little bit there, but let's start thinking about how young people end up in these sorts of situations. Obviously, you know, we know it's quite a, a wide a wide definition, but there are lots and lots of young people in Wales and, and elsewhere uh, without somewhere to call home. Um, Caitlin, what do we know about the, the sort of factors that lead to that situation, that lead to young people being becoming homeless? Yeah, it's such a good, good question. Um, what we do know is that homelessness, often there's not one key factor. It's usually a cumulative effect of a range of factors. Um, and young people's kind of journey into homelessness is often a cycle through of uh, being at home, being on a friend's couch, being in a shelter, uh, cycling back home. So uh, what it looks like in terms of the causal factors are are kind of three big areas. So the first one um, is around how we structure our society. How do we organize um, our housing system? How do we organize our economy? Um, for example, one thing that is happening in, in many countries around the world is what's called the financialization of housing, where we position housing as a commodity rather than a social good. Um, as something like gold rather than something like uh, health or wellness. And when we position it that way, um, it really creates a, a kind of policy framework for us not to invest in social housing and affordable housing. Um, so in terms of what we would call those big structural factors, that is a huge piece for young people um, kind of at a population level. And then on top of that, you have systems failures. So public systems like the child welfare system um, or the education system, the criminal justice system um, are have various kind of roles in contributing to a risk of homelessness uh, for young people. So for example, we know from studies around the world that for folks that have been in care or foster care, huge numbers experience homelessness later in life. In Canada, um, among young people who are homeless, about 60% uh, had been in care. Um, if you're if you're a child in care, you're 193 times more likely uh, to become homeless. So those kind of system failures, where there's gaps in services or silos between services, 
um, or negative experiences in systems is a big driver. And then kind of what we often think about, and when you ask a young person what's the cause of their homelessness, it's often those kind of individual and relational experiences, whether that's experience of abuse or um, substance misuse in the home uh, that's driving it. But sometimes when you listen to carefully to the stories young folks tell about their lives, there, there's like critical moments where systems could have come in to intervene. Um, so it looks like an individual issue, but it's a systems issue and a structural issue as well. And so Fran, uh, I suppose as someone who's been on the front line of all this, who's dealing with um, young people and, 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 and communicating with them on a, on a fairly regular basis, um, how do you see sort of these, these trends changing around, you know, the causes of youth homelessness and what's What's getting young people into these sorts of situations? Is something becoming a bit more prevalent now that it hasn't been in recent years? Not really. Um, as I say, if you ask young people or you say what is the co- most common issue that causes youth homelessness, it's relationship breakdown. But exactly as Caitlin said, the reasons behind that relationship breakdown usually determine with the family breaking down um problems with with the you know the young person and the interaction um and that's why family mediation is really important but a lot of it is is down to austerity um i've been around sadly long enough to see sort of uh, austerity come and go and the one fact that you see is homelessness increases when uh, public services are cut and homelessness decreases when there is more money in the system um but it never disappears Uh, And we seem satisfied when we see a decrease and we think we're doing a good job. No, we're not. We're putting enough money in so that those silos between the different systems aren't quite as stark. Um, And I think now has come the time to say, actually, we need to get it right. So I want to have a look now at, at the situation in Wales. Um, just just how widespread is youth homelessness within our communities? Obviously, people will be able to see with their own eyes that the, the numbers of rough sleepers is on the rise, especially within the streets of Cardiff, for example. But, but as we talked about earlier, a lot of the problem with youth homelessness lies below the surface. Uh, Francis, probably through your work with Slamai, you'll be coming into contact with homeless young people on a fairly regular basis. Um, so in your eyes, what's the scale of the problem? Um, that's a really, really good question because this is one of the fundamental issues. We don't actually know what the scale of the problem is. We know that 8,000 young people in Wales ask for help for homelessness. Um, but what we do know th- is that that is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, research looking at it anecdotally and looking at young people who should have been with us but didn't or were um, away from services for 12 to 18 months, we're estimating you can multiply that, that number by three, even four. And that's why it's so important to get the um, awareness out there of what homelessness is, not just rough sleeping, so that we start to get the numbers. But of course, there is a bit of a perverse incentive about this because our local authorities are really strapped for money. And it's not in their interest to have more and more people that they can't cope with. I think it was um, really interesting working with Caitlin and her colleagues on this evidence review um, and also our other expert, Tamsin Sterling, to actually explore this issue a bit more in terms of the fact that there are no official numbers around this and actually the difficulties that this throws up in practice. Um, So in particular, if a local authority is tempted to perhaps adopt a broader definition and be a bit more proactive in terms of um, recognising and um, putting forward, you know, 
larger numbers for people who are homeless, actually that looks bad for them. So then you ask yourself, okay, is there potentially a perverse incentive there to adopt a narrow definition and only focus on those numbers of people who are coming to you and presenting um, themselves to you, you know, at the point at which they don't have anywhere to go? Do you think, Johnny, that because Wales is such a small nation, you know, only three million people compared to, you know, even places like the US and Canada who have got so much, uh, so many more people, so much more potential perhaps to, to solve this issue, do you think the fact that we are a small nation holds us back in our ability to, 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 to tackle the issue? Um, I think in some senses you can actually um, argue the opposite. So as a more kind of general academic point, actually we know that um, smaller countries, there tends to be more of a... Um, momentum towards collaborative forms of policy making. The fact that it is smaller means it's not too difficult for Welsh government to work with the sector and get the key people in a room to work out these policy issues. Um, I would also um, like to build on the point that Caitlin made as well, actually, that it seems now in Wales there is a lot of momentum behind this issue. So I think that another way of framing this is actually if you see that momentum behind the issue and the fact that it is possible to get everyone together, and actually there is a lot of alignment, so not complete alignment between the people involved, but that that to me seems like a really positive opportunity to now take the evidence behind this and actually move policy forward. So let's let's move on to the million pound question. How do we go about dealing with this vast issue that we've all identified? It's a lot bigger than everyone thinks it is. There's a lot of um, homelessness that goes undetected under the surface. How do we go about dealing with it? Uh, now, the report that we uh, at the Wales Centre for Public Policy published recently talks a lot about the need for, for different public services to work together uh, to stop young people from falling within, between the gaps. You, um, you both have, uh, have mentioned it as well. Um, Johnny, do you want to talk a little bit more about what the report says about the ways in which um, public services in Wales can be better joined up to, to, to stop people from falling within the gaps? Yeah, sure. Um, so that's basically um, recognising that to tackle this problem, um, because it's so complex and because there's multiple causes you really need that integrated service provision um so i guess a way of thinking about this is that youth homelessness it doesn't it doesn't just fall within the the remits of the housing team um actually if you're really going to tackle it what you need is integrated services across a range of different policy areas so as an example you might be doing work in schools and actually schools provide an ideal place to identify where someone is at risk of being homeless. But then the question is currently, okay, what happens with that information? What if a teacher suspects there's something wrong? Is there a possibility to pass on that information? Or is that not there? So really what the recommendations from the report are, are pulling out is that actually to really tackle this issue, you need that integrated approach. And actually you're not just having housing teams in local authorities as, as the point of call to tackle this issue but that we can be far more proactive in a whole range of different settings, whether that's schools, whether that's in health services, um, to identify and then put in, pra- put in place interventions which can help young people. Yeah, and just building on that, I think it's the, the service integration and the system integration that you're referencing that's so very key and thinking about the ways in which um, and thinking about prevention when we're trying to tackle youth homelessness prevention, it actually meets the goals of other public systems mandates. Um, So if, for example, uh, young people are transitioning out of uh, prison system, the criminal justice system in, in various ways, if we can support them to get stably housed 
have the financial supports, uh, like really focus on social inclusion and social supports, you actually see a huge reduction in reoffending. Um, and if, like, presumably the criminal justice system is is interested in greater levels of public safety, one way to do that is actually to focus on youth homelessness prevention. Um, so thinking about the ways in which our goals actually align in, in different systems. I agree with that. And I think as well, we should recognise that in Wales, um, we, we know that between 48 and 52% of young people who go on to become homeless were already known to services. Um, And that doesn't mean those services failed that young person. It means they were, again, thinking in their own silos and looking at what they needed to do. Um, And we we looked at some of these case studies um, and and we saw cases where a young person whose foster placement had broken down was told by school to stay outside school at half past three and somebody would come and pick them up. They'd show identification. They'd pick them up and take them to the next foster placement. The social worker felt they'd done their job. They hadn't looked at that this was the fourth foster placement that had broken down within six months. So what we need to look at is positive that we know these young people, but we need our colleagues to understand that this is part of the journey and what those trigger points, what what that sort of background means. And I think that's, that's, you know, going to be really important whilst we get to solve it. Going back to an earlier point um, around numbers, If we know what the numbers are, we have to ensure that there is enough service provision initially for those numbers, and then we start to build back. And I think that's one of the key things that we have to accept. So um, obviously there's a lot of best practice and there's a lot of um, different ways that different countries and different authorities will have come together to to solve the issue and to to find different ways to tackle the problem. Um, What can we learn from other countries? Yeah, that's such a great question and very exciting because there is a lot of interesting work and evidence-based work that's happening around the globe um, that is kind of emerging and will be exciting to see Wales take it up. Um, So there's a few that I would say are kind of should be on the radar here. The first is um, school-based interventions. So the Geelong project um, upcoming of Australia where you the school actually partners with social service agencies um, and other organizations in the community to kind of function um, in a collaborative way to identify when a young person um, is at risk of homelessness um, and then kind of allot them into, uh, well, in in this case, it's kind of three tiers of different kinds of supports that are tailored to the challenges they're facing. Uh, What's really smart about this model is it's a population level survey. So all young people in schools would complete this survey. So you'd have a sense, you know, some teachers will know, you know, that there are particular students who are struggling, um, but then other students aren't going to be on the radar. And through this this population survey, you're able to identify, oh, this this young person's actually at risk of homelessness, experiencing housing precarity, um, there's abuse in the home, and uh, really quickly respond with the school and, and um, community-based model to, to ensure that young person and the family, because what, what's also important is that we're not just thinking about youth homelessness um, as about the individual young person, but uh, the family mediation here actually in Wales is really inspiring to see, um, and, and that's a big part of the Geelong project. So I, I would absolutely be looking at school-based interventions. Um, 
What has also been really exciting to see uh, in various countries is increased support for young people transitioning from public systems. So we know in some cases, young people are are just often, in the case of child welfare in Canada, for example, are kicked out of care at 18, kind of given a garbage bag and go on your way with your belongings um, with very little transition support, no financial support. Um, So countries that are extending the age of care or providing aftercare guarantees um, with counseling, with financial supports, housing supports, um, those models are showing a lot of efficacy, and and it would be exciting to see see that work here too. I know Wales is very uh, engaged in thinking about care leavers and their trajectory into homelessness. So I think one thing that is often neglected in a lot of discussions, perhaps around this topic, is is the voice of the young people themselves in these situations, uh, and making sure that they're listened to, their their priorities and their needs are are catered for um, throughout the service provision. Um, Fran, what what would you say are the sort of the key uh, priorities and experiences that that young people are telling you about you know their their journey through? Um, being homeless as it were? Well I think you just hit the nail on the head the most important thing is to listen to what young people are saying um, and that is something that Lamai has always done um, what we call experts by experience so I'll just go through a couple of the models of support that we deliver that have been um, developed and de- um, built around exactly what young people tell us they needed so apart from our sort of supported accommodation and supported lodgings Um, Young people many years ago wanted to get back in touch with their families. Young people who were in care, we all know that when they reach a certain point, they very often will want to get back in touch with their families. Newly homeless young people are never going to darken the door of their family again. And um, So we developed the the family uh, mediation service in Wales around 13 years ago. And that works with young people and the family. Um, And where it's safe and appropriate, we re-engage the family together. Even when it's not possible to re-engage the family together, we work with the wider family to establish links with grandparents, with siblings, so that young person feels connected. And on average, 76% of young people that we work with through family mediation either return or remain home. And that's we we measure two years after mediation has, has finished. I know, Johnny, that you visited Lamai uh, recently to talk to some of the, the young people that, that they are supporting with, with Andrew Connell, another one of our, our researchers, and you were talking to them about the findings from our report. What sort of things were they telling you and how in, how in tune was that with, with what are the things that they were saying and their priorities? Yeah, so that was um, a really good thing for me and Andrew to experience, a very humbling experience. In terms of um, some of the things that they were um, recognising in the report, actually a lot of that really resonated with them. Um, in particular the fact that many of them felt they could have been helped earlier on. So for a lot of the young people in that room, the the only time they got help was, you know, way past the point of crisis, which really um, reinforces the recommendations of the report in terms of the need for earlier intervention. In in terms of some of the other specific things um, which kind of came out of that group discussion, one thing that I was really struck by um, was just the complexity of the system currently. so a lot of young people um, in the room were saying that just trying to find the most basic information was incredibly difficult. So, you know, which services they need to access at a certain point in time, the information just wasn't there for them. Um, and that's a really interesting point in terms of um, 
the recommendations of the report in terms of not just the need for better integration of systems, but actually the need for um, further simplification of these systems so that young people know that it's easy for them to get the support and the help they need. Um, I think the second key thing I really took away from those discussions was just in terms of how those young people are um, viewing the plans which are being built off the back of this evidence review. So um, I think quite rightly, a lot of the young people, they're quite used to being let down by people. Um, so actually to stand up in the room and say that, you know, this money is going to be used for this purpose, two people in that room immediately put their hands up and said, but, you know, is this actually going to happen? Are we going to see the change off the back of this? Um, so I think, again, that for me was a really kind of um, humbling experience to show that it's not just about kind of doing this evidence review and having these discussions. It's about finding ways that we can take this evidence forward and use it to inform policy. Does that lack of trust in, in the sort of authority and in the services that are being provided stop people from seeking the help that they need? It certainly stops them seeking help and it also stops them engaging. Um, and uh, we do a lot of work with young people. Uh, a lot of people say, well, why do young people self-sabotage? Why do they have behaviours or why don't they engage? And the reality is, is if you've been let down time and time again, it is far easier to leave the service than have somebody leave you. Um, they are so used to having to retell their stories, so used to not knowing who their social worker is, so used to... Um, as you said, being let down. Um, and, and just to give an example, when young people come to us, we know that the first few weeks is going to be horrendous because they will do everything in their power to ensure that we let them go because everybody else has. And you have to show that you're not going to do that and start to build up trust. Yeah, I think that's such a critical, critical point. And I mean, I think for a lot of young people, the lack of trust is is evidence-based, right? And I mean, it's something we're struggling with in North America for sure is that the way um, emergency supports for young people function, sometimes it's enormously unsafe for a young person to come to a shelter. Uh, so there's been emerging research on uh, recruitment into sex trafficking and human trafficking within homeless shelters. So um, I mean, I think there's absolutely an enormous trust piece there. And uh, there is some concern about ensuring being able to ensure that there's there are the safety for folks who are entering. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I just wanted to, to go back to the uh, End Youth Homeless Coalition and Bed and Breakfast campaign, because what we found young people were coming to us and they had been sa uh, placed in unsafe bed and breakfast accommodation, some for as long as three, six months, where they didn't have a lock on their door, where um, from nine until I think um, six o'clock, they were out on the street. They weren't allowed to go back. And we had examples of people being sexually exploited, raped, harmed and hurt in bed and breakfast that they were placed in by well-meaning local authorities who didn't know where else to place those young people. And because they couldn't find accommodation easily, usually because it was overnight. Um, and that's one of the reasons we have responded to young people saying they need help at the point that they're in crisis and they called for a helpline, they called for a, for one number that they could ring three, three o'clock in the morning, somebody would know where they were and would put them in a place of safety. So we saw a 46% decrease in the use of bed and breakfast, but it needs to go down to zero and believe you me, it will. Um, and we will be launching um, early next year, um, just after Christmas, the homeless helpline that would be working out of hours 
24-7 on a Saturday and Sunday so young people can get the response they need. Um, Caitlin, what, what other sorts of gaps are there in the, sort of the evidence around youth homelessness? For me, I would say eviction prevention is an enormously effective intervention uh, for adults and for families, um, but we haven't really looked at it for young people, um, including for young people who have disabilities or who are experiencing mental health challenges or substance use. What does um, eviction prevention look like for those populations? Um, but for folks who are um, out there in the community doing research in this area or doing evaluations in their agencies, p please publish um, your results because this is a really promising area um, and the gaps in the research um, kind of prevent us from moving forward at a policy level. I would also say one of the things we know is that even when we rehouse folks, young people um, who've experienced homelessness, the outcomes often aren't that good a year or two later. Folks are still uh, experiencing PTSD, are still struggling with housing precarity, are really struggling to, living in poverty, struggling uh, to find employment or re-engage with education. So how can we improve outcomes in those areas? Um, thinking of addressing homelessness as obviously more than just a roof, but thinking about what does social inclusion mean? What does belonging look like? What does it mean to address uh, loneliness, for example, as part of uh, a more holistic approach to ending youth homelessness and ensuring that folks don't uh, cycle back into homelessness? So do you think there's a role there for, you know, for young people and the, the, the voices of the young people being used more to, to help steer the sort of the research agenda and to help steer how... Uh, sort of experts and academics are, are, are using their time to towards developing the the solutions and the answers as it were absolutely um as i say that's something we have always done in the organization in Clamai. we develop services from what we are told and then we work with a young person to develop the service um just to give you an, another example summon in line moving forward which is a, a program that gives training employment em, employability skills and then finally a six-month work placement for that young person paid for the employer um, we developed that with young people so that when we rolled it out, it became the most successful project of its type in the whole of the UK. And we have around 68, I think, to 72 percent of young people are remaining in employment after that six months. Um, we are sometimes scared to listen. And I think we are all talking about psychologically informed environments being strength based, being asset based. We say we need to listen to children. We need to listen to what they're saying in schools. And we're, we're kind of doing a good job about it. Why do we stop listening with when young people? Um, and, and that's something we do. We need to work together. And one of the things I was so excited with, with, with the report is it was a real collaboration. We asked for that report. We asked for what it needed to do um, on the back of amplifying the voices of what young people had told us. And, you know, I'm immensely excited about the report, but I think it shows the importance of partnership. Absolutely. And I, I just want to echo your comment in terms of like centralizing the voices of young experts is so, so key for driving policy change driving practice change. These are the experts. They have a human and legal right to uh, have de determine kind of what options are available to them um, in terms of the, uh, the what they want their lives to look like. And I think there's a 
sometimes um, there's a perception that young people don't have the capacity uh, or the ability to reflect on their own lives, um, to make informed decisions. And um, I think we should call that what it is, which is a form of discrimination, which is ageism. Um, and we need to start centralizing the voices of, of young experts. I, the example you provided of like, we, we know, we knew 10 years ago that this would work. Uh, we didn't need the evidence. So I think in terms of policy change, uh, yes, we need evidence, but absolutely we need young experts in the political process. So consultations are really important, but we also know from young people, they want to be part of the political process and the policymaking process in doing this work and um, they have the right to be and they have the capacity to be. So the centre's report identified a lot of what should already be in the system as best practice but just how well are local councils in Wales putting this into action? Alongside the evidence review written for us by our Canadian partners, we commissioned independent housing researcher Tamsin Sterling to map how Welsh councils were supporting young people leaving care in particular and stopping them from falling into the trap of homelessness. I asked her how well local authorities across Wales are working to get to grips with youth homelessness in their communities. Um, I think it's fair to say that it's a mixed picture. So um, when I, I had um, discussions with um, representatives in each of the 22 local authorities working in the, either working in or overseeing the housing options service um, and also looked at published information, um, some of them have got, um, you know, a reasonable range of housing options. They've got... Um, uh, multidisciplinary co-located teams so they may have someone from children's services embedded in the housing options team um, they have um, quite a specific approach or a targeted approach should I say to young people you know separate from adults um, you know so, and some some great innovation going on as well in in, in some places particularly around um, uh, care leavers options for for care leavers respite options and some such um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, there's authorities that really um, are probably even struggling to have the sort of basics um, that adhere to the legislative requirements, both on the children's services and the, and the housing and homelessness side. Um, and that's not a criticism of anyone who works in those authorities. There's, there's been less, maybe less attention, less leadership, um, less resource um, to bring to bear. But I suppose the result then is, is that young people kind of can get a very different experience, you know, in the, in the best, in inverted commas, authority or the authority with kind of it's progressed most in their thinking you know they they will have more options than in in areas where that thinking has, has not progressed so far but the other thing to say is that it's a very live area a lot of um, the local authority folk that I spoke to were saying you know we recently appointed someone with a specific role around youth homelessness we, we're in the process of developing XYZ options so it's a very live it's a very live um, area which which is which is promising but I you know again whether the liveliness is more the case in the authorities that are already further progressed and and there's less of that going on in the in the in the authorities where the thinking is less progressed you know I think that's something we need to be mindful of so the, the changes in the legislation in, in, that came in in 2014, what sort of effect uh, has that had on local authorities? Has it been mainly the positive benefits that they'd hoped or has there been any an adverse unintended consequences to that? 
Um, well, there's been um, a longitudinal evaluation of the um, implementation of the homelessness legislation that's kind of looked at things kind of two years on from um, commencement of when the legislation started being used. Um, and there's 54 recommendations, so there's still, you know, it's kind of work in progress. So I think overall the kind of shift in culture from processing to problem solving, so, you know, does someone pass the five tests that they used to be through to actually anyone who's facing a housing problem can, can present to a local authority and, and get some help to prevent that homelessness. Overall, I'd say there's been a really good shift in that direction. I'm not sure that it is the, the prevention duty has um, stimulated anything specific around, it's an interesting question, around, around young people as opposed to um, folk who are facing homelessness across the, the piece. So there are generally more prevention tools in the toolbox for, for local authorities to, to use. Um, the group that it's really not working for that's very clear is for, for, for folk who are sleeping on the streets um, and there's a lot of work, there's Ministerial Task and Finish Group which is looking at that amongst other issues um, there's, there's work around going on around data um, there's a group looking at housing first so, so there, you know, it hasn't been a uniformly um, um, you know, the legislation hasn't had uniform benefits for all, for all groups Obviously, a, lo- a lot of the changes that we've recommended sort of through the through this research are going to require a lot of resources. But are there any particular sort of shortcomings you're seeing with the, within local authorities that could be solved pretty quickly? So you know, quick wins that local authorities can just sort of put in place to get, improve their offer. Um, in the in the um, piece of work I did and the the report that came out of that, so I sort of identified kind of short, medium, and longer term um, actions that could be taken. So in the shorter term, definitely an improvement in the in information that's available online and through um, mechanisms such as advice, li- advice lines. I found it quite hard to find my way around some information or even find some information. So, so that's something that could do with a, um, you know, a good amount of, of attention. I think making sure that we've got robust and e- effective family mediation services in every authority. I think most authorities have family mediation services, but they're, they're kind of um, put together in different ways. So some are run by a third sector organisation, some are embedded in children's services, some in housing services, so some probably have a more kind of... Um, or may people may be less inclined to use them if they're kind of associated with um, the sort of enforcement functions of local authorities maybe. And I think there's differences in how um, well they work, how embedded they are in, in other prevention tools like work in schools, etc. So really making sure family mediation services work really well across the 22 local authorities. I think some work on um, uh, eviction prevention focused on young people um, could be quite a, you know, really, you know, talking to young people who's, who've had, you know, experiences of a tenancy failing, finding out what really would have made the difference for them, you know, and so it's probably just, you know, some really um, practical but highly responsive, you know, when there's an issue, it, kind of the response goes in quickly. Um, and then I think there's um, an issue about um, both emergency and, and longer term accommodation, the night stop supported lodgings. Um, form of accommodation which we've got quite a bit of um, in Wales but not not everywhere and not at scale everywhere there's recently been a piece of work being done in Scotland looking at how you can take those options to scale across the country and I think that could have a certainly in terms of keeping young people out of um, inappropriate and sometimes not even safe temporary accommodation that could be very beneficial. That was Tamsin Sterling there Francis, from Samai's experience, how are local authorities in Wales faring with with helping to stop young people from becoming homeless? Um, That's a very big question, and there's 22 different variations. Um, But 
What I would say is there is no lo- local authority in Wales that is not wanting to help stop young people coming homeless. Um, and I think one of the issues that we need to look at is stopping looking for people to blame. Uh, one of the important things around the End Youth Homeless Coalition is recognising that youth homeless belongs to everybody in Wales. So it belongs to local authority, it belongs to Welsh Government, uh, it belongs to everybody working within the system. Um, and it belongs to the public and businesses and corporates and every one of us. Uh, because unless we actually all come together and unless we actually all play our part and support um, services and support what works, then we're not going to get any further. So for my mind, as I say, I do not know a local authority that is not wanting to help, but I do know many that are struggling. They're struggling because they can't think of how they're going to deliver better services given the level of cuts. And we have to help and support local authorities to think differently. We have to help and support them to look at what education is doing to encourage young people who are disengaging from from the schools. Um, At the same time, we've got some social work teams who are working with some young people who are really struggling in care homes and foster placements, how to engage in them. Yeah, and you were right there, you know, of course, the elephant in the room in all these discussions is, is the fact that local authority budgets are being squeezed and resources are in decline. Um, and given that councils in Wales are being asked to do more with less on a, on a more and more frequent basis, where where would the action be prioritised in terms of spending that limited resource, Caitlin? Yeah, um, I'd love to echo Fran's point with respect to the need for collaboration, like collaborative work across systems where we're pointed in the same direction with a similar measure of outcomes. Um, That kind of work is really needed. Uh, It's really exciting, as I mentioned, to see the, the excitement around prevention. We need to be focused upstream um, homelessness is is one of the only areas around the world where we prevention's often an afterthought. We've really responded it to it, um, kind of around yeah around the world as a, as a in a crisis response, and I think kind of focusing on prevention interventions is really key. And I think it's really important is is just uh, the availability of housing, affordable housing, safe housing, appropriate housing for young people. Um, supporting young people to access it, to retain it, um, and and implementing those strategies across systems to be able to identify when a young person's at risk of homelessness very early on, um, rather than trying to respond after when challenges are much more difficult. So eviction prevention, for example, all the evidence in that area says the earlier in the the eviction process that we're able to catch someone, the more effective it's going to be. Fran, does that echo what, what you were going to say? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons that the End Youth Homeless Coalition really pushed and lobbied hard to have new monies in Wales that could target prevention. Because what we couldn't do is take money from already depleted services with not enough bed spaces to put in prevention. And I have to say, I, I do applaud the Welsh Government um, and, you know, the bravery to actually put some new monies in. I would say... 10 million is a great sum. It's no good for one year, First Minister, whoever you may be. And we need it for another two at least. Because then when we can see the decrease in the young people we know about, because we are we are actually effectively targeting them before the point of prevention, that should mean that the services 
uh, are not as hard hit. Um, and that takes me back as, a, as well, is that why it's just not a local authority council problem. So we're drawing to the end now uh, of our episode today, but hopefully a lot of you listening will be piqued and be curious about, you know, finding out more about the, the issue of youth homelessness and, and, and what can be done to help solve it. Um, where can people go to find out more information and find out uh, some more about some of the research that's being done in this area, Johnny? Yeah, so um, obviously the first point of call would be to um, check out our website. So the report we discussed today is available on our website, um, as well as the other work that we're doing in and around the issues of not just youth homelessness, but housing and homelessness more broadly. Um, in terms of similar centres to ourselves, um, I would also recommend that people um, check out the Centre for Homelessness Impact. Um, so like us, they're affiliated with the What Works Network across the UK, um, and they provide a range of toolkits and um, lots of material discussing the evidence around youth homelessness, and in particular, the, the interventions around youth homelessness. Caitlin, what, what is there from around the world What is there that's available to people to look at? Yeah, so uh, where I work, the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness, we run a website called the Homeless Hub, which is meant to be kind of a clearinghouse for all kinds of evidence around youth, uh, well, youth homelessness, but all kinds of homelessness affecting all, all populations. So basically any area you're interested in related to homelessness, that's an incredible resource for you. With respect to youth homelessness, just a couple of days ago, um, my colleagues and I released a report called The Roadmap for the Prevention of Youth Homelessness, which is meant to provide a guide around uh, what youth homelessness prevention is, what it would look like to implement it, where the evidence is, where the gaps are, um, and where we need to be looking to young experts to um for, for their expertise in terms of what prevention really means. So I, yeah, I would mention those. And I, I'd also actually mention uh, my colleague David French and I did a consultation with young people across the country in, in Canada, asking them themselves, what would have worked to prevent your homelessness? What kind of intervention, when, by whom? That could be a great resource. I'd really encourage uh, folks who have the capacity to be consulting with young people and asking them what, what would have worked for you. Um, and, and that report could be helpful uh, in terms of building out what that could look like. And Fran, from you, I suppose a lot of the people listening aren't as fortunate as some people, you know, having their hands on the levers of power and being able to sort of directly influence policy change on this. What can, you know, the rest of us do to, to help try and alleviate the problem? I think there's so much. Uh, I think the first thing is to actually think about the problem and to think for yourself what, what you would feel like if you had no idea uh, tomorrow night where you were going to stay start thinking of it like that I'd encourage you to go on to the Lamai website www.lamai.org.uk where you can look at what the work Lamai does and also about the End Youth Homeless Coalition and you can find a lot more uh, just to give an example as well everybody can do something last night 250 people slept out to raise awareness and to fundraise to help services to end youth homelessness people can join that People can think about, Would you uh, have you got the capacity to become a supported lodgings provider? 
could you give up a room for a young person? We are looking for that right the way across Wales. Again, that is something that we give help, support and training um, so people can practically help and people can think about becoming a mentor for young people, volunteering. Um, there is so much, people have so much skills and experience and let's face it, the vast majority of people are fortunate enough to be able to have brought up their, old chi- their own children because circumstances weren't as dire um, as the families that some of our young people were in. The level of experience and knowledge people have got is phenomenal. And as I say, if we're going to end youth homelessness in Wales, we all need to be in this together. That's a really inspiring message there. Thank you very much. Uh, you can find more information on the links and organisations we mentioned at the end there uh, in the description box. Uh, thank you to Fran, to, to Caitlin and to Johnny for joining me today. And, and thanks to you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pep Talk. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcasting app. And I hope you'll join us again soon for another Pep Talk.